I've been a throw up the sex in a This is the Simply King Podcast. It's your boy Rodney Perry King himself. And you just tuned into the Soulfully Conscious Podcast for humans, simply being humans. And today I have a very special guest here with me. I have not only is he an educator, but he loves education so much that he's still in school. He got so many degrees that he can share them. You know what I'm saying? But nevertheless, I want to welcome all of you to a great, great guest of mine, someone that I've actually contributed to his podcast before that I think you all are going to love and get so much great information on. I have here with me educator, current doctoral candidate at the at NYU, as well as just all around advocate for better educational systems and policies. I have here with me Madison Payton. Let me get a little applause for you, a little applause. How you feeling, bro? I'm feeling great. I like that little applause. Thank you. Like that. You like that? Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I was like, let me give him, give him something. Let me give him something. But you know what? Um, I, I feel like I told you this before. You have one of the best names in the game. Just a great all around name in general. I feel like it can get you a lot of places. It could be a lot of things. Madison Payton sounds like a clothing line. It just sounds like a famous actor. It sounds like a building, a street name. It sound like a lot of things like Madison. Like I'm off, I'm off the corner of Madison and Payton. I'm wearing I'm wearing uh, Madison, yeah. I'm wearing Madison Payton right now. I got that new Madison Payton on. It's a great name. Great name. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mom. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, but before we get into who you are, I want to get into some, you know, what I'm saying some 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 a little bit of, you know, do my Twitter check-in, and it's one that I'm so glad I'm talking to you about because it feels the most appropriate because I haven't talked about this on the show, um, my love for this show. So let us tap into the Twitter check-in. Okay, okay. It's my nice little sound effects. All right. So... Today's Twitter check-in is simply hashtag Abbott Elementary. <laughs> um, we are, regardless if we, uh, people who are have not chosen to go to, you know, secondary, get a secondary uh, schooling or uh, education, going to college, we all can speak to being a part of some elementary school system. Even no matter what generation, a lot of us had some school, you know? So we can speak to how school is. If it's good, if it was bad, you remember some of your favorite teachers, some of your favorite things, the terrible food, all those different things. And in all honesty, I think Abbott Elementary has found a way to truly qualify and capture all these various characters and archetypes of a school in a in neighborhoods that's just like ones that so many of us grew up in. Tell me, Madison, are you watching Abbott Elementary? 
I am watching and loving Abbott Elementary. It is a fantastic show. <laughs> what 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 did you say? What would you say is um because I know you probably seen, I don't know if you've seen it because you I know when we spoke about it uh in our pre-interview, you didn't watch it just yet. Um, mm-hmm. did you see the like uh backlash about uh, Abbott Elementary from like educators like quote unquote real live educators of today? Right. I mean, I'm a real life educator and I think that you know, it, it's a show. It, it it's capturing it's capturing feelings that some of us have and it's not going to be for everyone, but I think that like you said before earlier, everyone has attended elementary school minimally, at least in the United States. So we have a sense of some of those teachers and if we are an educator you know some educators that are like that you know some principals that are like ava so (laughs) but it's not supposed to be a a a perfect narrative it's not monolithic yeah Um, but i think it does captures the inequities in education Mm -hmm. i think it does capture the archetype characters that you see that's in schools um so I, I, I loved it. I mean, I binged it. As soon as we spoke, I binged as much as I could. And then I started just watching um, as it drops every Tuesday. Every Tuesday. So, yeah, yeah. Um, there's, not, there's not one dropping today, though, apparently. so Really? Yeah. I feel like that's a thing because um, I've been watching that. I always follow. Uh, I'm, I'm part of that Hulu Next Day crew of people. And I've been watching Abbott Elementary and Grand Crew. And they both come on on Tuesdays. And I've been watching them the day after. And, um, and I noticed that with Grand Crew, they like took damn near the whole, it's like they waited the whole month of February to put out another episode. Uh, they like put out two episodes in February for some reason. Um, maybe Abilet Lorenzo, you know how these networks are. They could be having to space stuff out and take breaks. But uh, lastly, what would you say is the most, um, the most familiar to you? What part of the show feels the most familiar to you? I like Janine. Your experience. Yeah. Yeah. I like Janine because she is like the new teacher that wants to just do everything. She wants to, she knows that she just want to get in there. She wants to get her hands dirty. She wants to be there for the kids. She wants to be everything to everyone. And I think that that is, she's on the path to burning out. Um, mm. She doesn't know it yet. Cause I know this, I think this is her second year in uh, teaching and yeah. on the show. Yeah. So she she's on the she's she's on the way to being burnt out if she continues this way of like trying to help everyone is for everyone she wants her colleagues to be her friends she wants to save every not, I don't want to say she wants to save every kid I don't think she's a save she doesn't have a saviorism complex but she wants to just help everyone and she can't sleep without helping everyone and you find very early in education that you just can't help everyone and that's not that's not a mean thing to say, but it is something that's the reality that you can't help everyone. You can't be, um, um, you can't be uh, something for everyone. Yeah. Right. I think that's what we see with Janine is that she really wants to like do it all. Mm-hmm. She wants to, even wants to like fix the lights in the school and like, she's not electrician, but like here she is like the kids need the lights. They can't, we can't see. So I think it's really interesting. And I think that um, Janine resonates a lot, especially first year teachers who might feel like they have an uphill battle and they really want to do justice by those kids. Yeah, I think it's um, interesting because I feel uh, I, I, I agree. I've seen that same thing in, in Janine. The burnout thing is way is definitely like a, 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 a industry specific thing. I wouldn't even have thought about that, but that's perfect. That's probably Lily coming up. <laughs> that's probably like gonna definitely happen 
uh, to her character just because it's like this is just a natural progression. If you are leaning in like that, um, it's yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I like I like also like um, just the uh, how they're showing the differences in um, generations. You know, I think that's the part that feels like a common theme that I really enjoy because um, because for me, I, I trip off like how I now have colleagues and friends who are educators and it's like, I do not remember having an educator like like a teacher your age. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you 30, you 20 some and you're a teacher. I don't I think I can only think of a handful of teachers that I had that were really young. That was like actually right. young and I could tell that they were young at whatever age I was at majority of my teachers was old as hell I'm from the south so they was probably educators for a very long time and um yeah but I definitely can remember all of my younger teachers because they were younger because they it, it felt more so I so I when I hear the particular passions that a lot of them you know friends and people that I know and people I graduated college with who became teachers it makes sense why they're so passionate because they are, you know, at this phase of, you know, of it's being so fresh and new and them being so young and spry and ready to get after and ready to change lives and impact children and shit like that. Uh, it's just beautiful to see the difference because I never could know. I never would have known what's really going down in the teacher's lounge. You know what I'm saying? So I, seeing that really does, you know, feel kind of cool. You know what I'm saying? I just wanted some of that lemonade and that tea they, was, they didn't let us get in, in elementary school. I don't know right. why. But um, nevertheless, <laughs> I always thought that was fucked up. I was like, "Why well, we can't get no lemonade? I get drinkers at the house. Uh, nevertheless. Uh, so, that means, so that means that Barbara resonated with you, the older Miss Holly. Hell yeah. That, it's like she told those kids real quick. She's like, we don't have much, but we do what we got. And she'd be like, she basically told those kids, shut up, basically. And they're like, <laughs> and they're like, just following yeah. her. And she just knows what works. Like, she's like, you just got to talk to the kids. Like, don't ask no questions. Just Tell me you want to sit down. She took went into the room. She's like, sit down right now. And all the kids were like, but that's that's real though. Like, I think about that just in terms of just uh, communicating with adults. Like your tone and your your like the presence that you kind of can come into a room with. You could be saying a command, but make it sound like a question. <laughs> like you could be like right. like, and I think that children especially that's the thing that they're sensing more than anything. Like, how are you speaking to me? And you ain't serious. Like, I'm gonna still, you know, and like, I'm gonna still do me. Like, you ain't that, you ain't that mad or you ain't that for real. You know what I'm saying? And I don't know. I think it's interesting. I think it's so interesting, but I love the show. I, I can't wait. I, I I definitely am on that, you know, on that hit, dying on that hill that this deserves to be one of those shows that we get a million seasons of if they want to give them to us and us to look back and be like, man, y'all remember when we used to watch this live? Now we got all this, just, you know, all this to rewatch. I love that. I love the idea of that. And I just see it being so expansive because it's a school. Like you can bring in so it's so many people who are involved in the educational system. It's a lot of people just in general. Like we can go to different Different things happen all year. We're talking about school plays and the cafeteria and the guidance counselor and the art teachers and the everything. It's so many elements to a school and they change over time. Like they right. dead ass change over time. And it's a great segue to, you know, how, you know, more about you and how we how we uh, connected. Um, your podcast um, is about, you know, not only about education, but the connection between education and race. And I think it's uh, a beautiful thing that needs to be spoken about more often, for sure. 
it, because it's in all honesty has always been kind of a thing. It's never not been a thing. Um, and um, anytime you think about anything from a standpoint of um, oppression and subjugation of a people is usually some educational element that's attached to that. Like, what are we going to deprive them of? And nine times out of 10, that's education. They shouldn't be able to read. They shouldn't be able to learn. They shouldn't be able to have access into a particular knowledge to, so that we can continue to control them or continue to do whatever we're doing with them. And that's even in modern day terms. Uh, they don't even know about their, you know, their election process. So they don't even know about these particular things. And that's how we can continue to control them. We're going to put it in a different language. We're going to use a different currency. We're going to do so many different things. And so I think uh, education is a true cornerstone in our overall just development. And it's so crazy that we all have various different experiences that really, really impact us for the rest of our lives. And one thing that I'd share with you that kind of opened my eyes to my own perspective was just telling you how I was at a school that uh, pretty much was a, I want to say my school was at risk because we weren't, um, we didn't meet all those factors. Because from an educational standpoint, we were behind the bar and from a graduation rate uh, kind of benchmark, we were definitely lower than what it needed to be from a state standard. But we were excelling in extracurriculars. My school was four years old by the time I got there and we already won two state championships. We're ranked 13th in the nation in basketball. We had went to semifinals in football, all these other sports the future farmers of America getting blue ribbons every year and all these various things. So it's like you're keeping kids involved, a lot of the kids involved, but we're only talking about a, a very small portion of the children at this at my school and so mm -hmm. many kids being left behind in the middle of, you know, the, the end of the Bush administration going into the Obama administration. So it was a lot of different things happening. Um, and so I was glad to, that you gave me the opportunity to even like tell that story because I never even thought that was a perspective worth sharing. Um, but yeah, I went through, I had different, I had about four or five principals in the four years of school that I had. And a lot of those happened in the first three years of my high school uh, career and um, having like actual like educational and I guess educational facilitators they were yeah. hired by the state to be in the school. And we seen them basically as just an extension of the rest of them, not knowing until like maybe until I got to junior year. Oh, Mrs. Such and such ain't Mrs. Penn ain't uh, just a regular, you know, guidance counselor, teacher, whatever, whatever. She's actually here working in, you know, in representation of something else. And none of the teachers really like her. <laughs> like we right. learned that over time that. Oh, she they really don't like her because she's basically just monitoring them and making them teach in a particular way. Um, so I'm like, damn, we who knew? Because we got we kind of liked her. We thought she was kind of cool. But I think that was also maybe her way of figuring things out between us. Um, but nevertheless, I, I'm, I'm going to stop talking and get and pass over the mic. What was it that uh, made you so connected to education in the first place? Because I feel like you got to have a passion to even tap into education. Right. Well, the first thing that I want to say is that students, especially students of color, are not at risk. When I see when I hear the when they hear the phrasing at risk, yeah. I'm asked, I, my question is, well, what are they at risk from? Are they at risk from being um, underfunded, under resourced? All of these things are uh, being deprived of, of an education. All of those things put onus back onto the system and not onto the students, because the system, as we already know, was not designed for students of color to be successful. It was not. Um, now, black schools in the South, 
um, are pioneers uh, in terms of how they did education. And we learned a lot from, from them and how we create culturally responsive education um, in our schools and really making sure that everyone is included in that. And we've seen that for decades, if not the entirety of education, black education in the United States and specifically in the South. So what you're experiencing is actually um, education that has been going on for a long, long time. So I think that mm. um, something that something that we should you know think about is is that when when we think about Brown v. Board, for example, that was supposed to integrate things, it actually did not help the situation because we are far more segregated than we ever have been in 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 the existence of the United States. Exactly. Um, so it didn't actually help. And then what happened with Brown v. Board is that we had thousands of teachers, black teachers, laid off, including principals. Um, who lost their jobs because they were combining schools and making black kids go to white schools. Because remember, it was always us that had to integrate the schools. It wasn't white kids integrating black schools. It was the other way around. So if you lose your enrollment, what happens to that school? It closes down, you lose jobs. So some people like to applaud Brown v. Board as being kind of like, this is the greatest success story that America's have in terms of education. But in actuality, it really is not. Yeah. Um, because again, we are far more segregated than we've ever been. I live and work in New York City, and we are one of the most segregated cities in the country. Yeah. Even though we're one of the most diverse cities in the country. Um, Everybody right in the spaces. You got all the white kids going to school at the same, all the black kids going to school at the same schools. Um, and we do know that in being inclusive is probably one of the best ways to do that. I'm not a segregationist, um, but I do know that we can't have a system that does not fund schools properly and under resource as well. Mm. Um, I think that that's what we have to think about as well. It's not just about the money. It's about the resources, because even though you have top performing public schools in various places throughout the country, we have to think about how they're being subsidized by white families. Damn. And then that's something to think about. Like when we have a PTA, we're raising like a few thousand dollars a year. But when you have white families doing their PTA at a very uh, affluent school, they're raising thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. And a case in point is there was a neighborhood school in Brooklyn that raised like $3,000 the whole year with the PTA. The school around the block, who is predominantly white, they raised, I think, I think it was like $53,000. And that was used for for them to hire, like, I think another art teacher for this, for their school. So we could never do anything like that because how we are economically deprived in our communities. Yeah. Um, So something to to think about, but I think that doesn't answer your question. That just, that's just a response. No, 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 no. I want, no, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Our response to to what you were saying about what you experienced. Hell yeah. Um, I think I got into education because I am a, I grew up as a little black boy who saw that education wasn't a fit for me. I felt like I was always out of place. I didn't fit in. I felt like my teachers were all white. They did not, well, I didn't feel that they were white. They, I, I, I knew that they were white. <laughs> but I felt like they did not have um, the experience. Yeah. Right. They did not have the experience that was needed to kind of educate. I, I, under, I looked around and I realized that we didn't have a computer lab. We didn't have the things that I know that exist in other communities. So I got very involved as early as middle school and high school, getting involved in student government uh, and really being a thorn in administration's butt. 
and really like saying, but why can't we have this and why can't we have that and let's raise money for this and this teacher is incompetent. Uh, and I think once I learned that word incompetent in middle school, I used it throughout <laughs> throughout my high school career. <laughs> you know, you're incompetent, you're incompetent, you're incompetent, you know, just throwing them away like Oprah, just like throwing away these incompetency um, awards. Because it's the truth though. It's like you have these, this, it's a, it's a, it's a factory of new teachers that keep coming in and out and they get burnt out. And this goes back to what I was kind of saying with Abbott elementary with Janine, like she is on the road to being burnt out because she's trying to do so much because she cares so much. And she realized she's going to realize that if she continues to go this road down this road, that she will burn out and then she will leave the profession, which means that it'll be worse for the kids yeah. because we actually are losing a really good black teacher exactly. to another industry, most likely another industry, or they go into leadership, which we see with principal Ava who represents the ongoing windmill uh, uh, carousel of administrators that are coming into the school. Right. And like not knowing what they're doing. Um, I know a lot of people were mad at that because um there are a lot of black principals that are phenomenal. And for them to decide on a principal that is incompetent did get a lot of people upset. I know that yeah. I was at first kind of like, Oh, okay. They're like you're not showcasing. They, 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 I think a lot of people wanted to see more black excellence mm-hmm. and see like, no matter what, that this principal is really trying to work for the school. But principal Ava is like ordering online and like, she's like using the kids as props to like get the things that she needs. So it's quite interesting. So I understand that backlash in terms yeah. of like black educators being upset that um, a black woman who wrote and create the show created a character that is a black woman um, leading the school in this very chaotic way um, for the sake of comedy. So I understand that why people were very upset um, with that. But I think, again, I think I'm going back and forth with, with your question, but I think that once, once I started realizing that and pushing myself forward there's just no way out now. I think that I did leave education for a little bit in my early twenties. And I came back because I said that this is my love. This is my passion and Mm. I'm not perfect. uh, But I know that I make connections and I know that I keep learning from the community that I work in, that I serve. Yeah. Uh, And I think that that's the most important thing is that you keep learning about yourself and you keep learning from your community and you're not there to save anybody because those communities already have a lot of resources, whether you see it or not. Yeah. And we need to pull in those resources and use them to help us educate um, these kids. What, what would you say? Um, I appreciate that. I really do. Um, and you know, trust me, don't worry about the tangents. I go on tangents all the time, but I, I feel, I feel that, um, it's such a it's such a it's such a beautiful thing to meet people who really do have a passion about teaching because I think it's something that um I think it's just something that has truly been one of the most like underappreciated um uh, just occupations that anybody could ever do. Um it's a whole lot taken for granted in terms of like you're spending so much time in these particular institutions and yet they're still being basically spaces and places for people to just go to and spend time and, and not really be enriched in the ways that they can be. Um, but I, I love when we get those constant reminders that there are schools that are doing the things that people that they are still, you know, inspiring and even not, even not even just the success stories, but just the fact of the, the attempt, you know, because it's not on 
a school solely a school to um to save children and <laughs> to like make children and, and 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 students of all ages into all that they can be and i think that that's the at, at least since i was younger that was always something i understood out the gate that i can't sit here and blame the school for anything that i'm you know kind of going through personally from that standpoint of like this has more to do with what's happening at home more than it is what's happening here and i could always see and tell the difference of uh, when people were having trouble at school and also having trouble at home you know um, or people finding a way to allow just the different gradients that came with that. Like it was students that I knew where they did, they excelled at school because home was so terrible. So they really wanted to, that was their motivating factor. Like I got too many brothers and sisters or my mom is, you know, going through some things. My dad is going through some things. My family's in a particular place. So I'm literally working hard as fuck so I can get graduate and get and start to get to a better space and place. Then also the vice versa, where it's like, I mean, nobody in my house cares, so I'm not going to care. <laughs> um, and so and and you can't and if you literally are only trying to teach, you know, what I'm saying just teach the kids, just teach them about whatever the topic and the subject is so they can grow an understanding in whatever it is. I can understand you being like, damn, you know, feeling away when you find out things um, about these children that might happen to them. But also, um, I understand just the putting, compartmentalizing what it is your role and your power, and it is. How how did you, because you do have a passion, how did you balance out how much effort and um, initiative that you kind of decided to show within the work of education? Because I can imagine not having any information about a particular students and just knowing them on on the on the relationship status of y'all being teacher to student and then learning something and might feeling like damn like I don't want them to I ain't know that they you know this was going on with them that's why they you know not doing so well in my school or whatever how do you reckon with that how do you what do you how do you know how to balance those things out I mean I think the first thing is to see everything is building a relationship and seeing these students as family members. Mm. And what do you do for family members that you actually care about? I know there's a lot of family that we don't, there's some family members that we don't care about, True. Uh, unfortunately, but like the family members that you actually care about, like you have these, you have people uh, leaving you responsible for these children. I agree with you that schools are not the be all end all to solving the problems that are outside of the school. And I think that's the problem that we have in education is that people really think that that education and education buildings are the places where people can overcome all the obstacles and fix all of the issues that yeah. you're like. To fix a lot of the problems that we have, we have to actually address poverty first. It's not fixing schools, it's addressing poverty. And really making sure that everybody's coming to school well-fed and they have a shelter and they have those basic needs taken care of so that they can be so that they can perform in school. But what we have is that a lot of students' basic needs, as we know, as we see, um, are not being met. So you have kids coming in, like you said, that might not um, that might not be doing well in school and have a, a not so good um, household. Might be a little. Uh, difficult to live in or challenging or anything like that. I never really want to focus on how negative families could be because I think that it goes beyond that. I don't like saying, oh, it's the family's fault, it's the mother's fault, yeah. or the parents not raising their yeah. kids correctly. I don't believe that at all. I think that the parents are doing what what they're able to do. And what they know, and probably that, know. And what they know. So like, how can we, with all our degrees, looking like some of the people that we are working with, uh, 
put our finger at them and say, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. Mm. Uh, I think that we have to come away from that deficit mindset of how we see black families and brown families and yeah. really think about how can we really motivate, elevate, uh, inspire, influence, collaborate with these families so that they feel like they're part of the school, that this is part of a family. And I think, I think the easiest thing that people will say, which is very difficult, is building relationships beyond your beyond teaching. Mm. Right. You have to care about how someone's doing before you teach them algebra. Damn. Right. I agree. If you don't care, if you don't care about me, why should I care about your arithmetic on the board? Fuck it. I don't care about that. Yeah. Right. You saw for X. You. That's very what? true. That's very true. And you know what? I think that that makes me really recollect back to the type of student that I was. Um, and I remember specifically getting trouble in a geometry class. Uh, by uh, my my uh, teacher was named Mr. Nye and um, Christopher Nye. I remember that, and wow. um, and he all noticed. And he he already he already was very snooty. Had very much an attitude already. Just his demeanor was very much giving that like very low, little patience, little tolerance for kind of just any for anything. And it wasn't even like it was me doing the things. I wasn't even like a kid who acted up I actually understood geometry fairly fucking well and actually excelled in that class we had homework came in and I feel like uh maybe I was like talking to somebody next to me or whatever with the homework and um he was doing one of the problems from the homework on the board and he was just doing you could tell I could tell he was just doing an air math he was just writing it out and just solving it right there right and just asking us to progress the overall equation. And I told him that he was wrong. And he was, he got so upset with me. And I'm, he got in his feelings and I'm like, I do this the way that you taught us to do this. Uh, I I can, he was like, he was like, all right, come up here and show me, show me, show me. And he was, he got emotional. I was like, all right, cool. Brought my notes, brought my notebook, wrote it out myself. Solved it myself, wrote it all the way out and got to the answer. And it was two different answers. And he then he was like, okay. And he went, he went flipped to the back of the book, looked at that answer and got quiet. And just was like, I remember those days when the answers in the back of the book. Right. And I'm, and I'm like, and I'm now I'm he not. Cause it was like, you trying to embarrass me. Now I'm like, so uh, Mr. Nye, what is the answer? And he, answer? and he was just like, okay, Rodney, that good job. Go ahead, sit down. You know, everybody makes mistakes. Go, go ahead, sit down. I was like, oh, so I was right. Now that I now, you know, because I'm like, you ain't, you're not about to do me like this. And got in trouble, got sent out of class, all that. When I'm like, I was right though. Like, you can't be mad at me for literally doing this in the thing. But I think it says so much about just the, how that is a relationship, like how you can peak and understand the personality types and we see each other so much. So it's like, yeah, I, I might not know you personally, but I'm around you so much. I do got a sense of the type of person that you are, you know? So I, I think I knew exactly how to push his buttons because it's like, 
But also, like, why why be like this? Like, why be so snooty about this instead of, like, making this a moment of, like, see, this is why you got to show your work, y'all. Just look, good job. Like, right, look, we all make mistakes, and, and that would be it. Instead of it literally being, I immediately recognize you're trying to embarrass me. Like, you're trying to get me up to the front of the, of the class, and for me to think that I think I know what I'm doing and I'm wrong, for me to demonstrate that and for them to feel shame. And that's how I should learn geometry? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that that feels fucked up. Uh but I was proud. I was so proud. It was one of our proudest moments as a <laughs> as a tenth grader. <laughs> um I could tell. Uh, yeah, yeah, I ain't gonna never forget that. Yeah, yeah. And I think he went and got it like another degree or something like that. So I guess shout out to you. I hope you're doing well in all your things, Mr. Nye. Um it's no hard feelings, but I remember that shit. Um You currently work for uh currently work at, at a school that is um uh for, uh, just just for boys only, right? Yes. Um, what's what's the name of the school? Uh, I don't yeah, know if you, can, you want to shout them out. Yeah, yeah. It's Eagle Academy for Young Men, number two in Brooklyn. We have one in every borough. For those of you who know, I think everybody knows New York City. Why well, don't I say New York? That sounds very snooty. It is. It's very New York to say that. Everybody knows New York City. <laughs> New York City has five boroughs, so we have five. Uh, we have five, and we have one in each borough, and then we have one in Newark. So these are areas where um, Columbia did a study years ago, uh, showing what were pipeline factories from school to prison, mm. and they decided to put a school in each of those areas to combat those pipelines. So, oh, that's cool. Place in Brownsville because it was number two after South Bronx for a pipeline of school to prison where like a lot of kids were getting arrested and eventually going into the prison system. Um, so we were put, we were placed in these areas. Yeah. For that. Yeah. I, you know, I, I love, I love that. I love that as, um, that being the, the reason for that. Um, I've actually like, been uh, a part of just different mentorship programs for a few students who uh, attend um, Urban Prep here in Chicago, um, which I feel like everybody, maybe nationwide, kind of has at least heard of the school yes. because I feel like every year they go viral for, you know, all all the graduating, you know, seniors of Urban Prep got accepted to college no and shit like that. No comment. Oh, no, I know, I know. Because <laughs> I don't know. That's all I know. And I can only imagine the, the, the comments. I, uh, you know, after after the button, the, re- the record button is off. But nevertheless, um, I love that that's, you know, what you were, you know, were brought to in your journey of, uh, of just, you know, of educating. What would you say is, you know, what what have you noticed to be the impact of you actually being um, I, I, I'm assuming that you um, identify as a man um, teaching other male identifying um, young children. Right. I think it's, I think what's great about my school is that there are so many different type of young, young and older men that work with the school. We are like 80 something percent men Mm. um, and like 90%, I think men of color. So you have so many different men. So the the boys, the young men see that intentional. No, it wasn't intentional at, at all. I mean, well, yes and no. Uh, I think it, I think the print my principal who is phenomenal. No shout out to him because he's he likes to be under the radar. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> he, uh, 
he definitely finessed a good cohort of teachers. We, a lot of us don't leave. We stay for a very long time. So the kids see consistency and there's all different types of men. Like you got your jockey men, you got your frat men, you got your um, musical men. You have all different types of men you can think of. Every man that exists, we have, we got it for you. So it's great because the young men can see that. They can say, oh, we got Mr. Payton, who's like a hippie, right? So like they see that in me and that's, that is my archetype at the school. Like I'm laid back, I'm chill. I'm, I, I, I'm always like going against the grain. They know that I'm a feminist. So, um, so that's how, that's our, so I think that me just being there is just part of, it's part of the family. It's like, oh, well, I'm another person here to show you that you can be this way and it'd be fine. Yeah. Um, and that's what, that's what a lot of kids want to see. They want to see representation. They want to see, they just don't want to see one type of black man in the school. Yeah. Um, because then those other kids will feel left out. Imagine if we had all the teachers that only were interested in football and basketball, then we have a big chunk of kids who don't feel like they're a part of the community. How's that going to be for the school? So that's why we have so many different types of teachers that, represents so many different areas um, in life and personality-wise that actually really makes it a good fit for the young men. So I think that I'm part of a cohort of phenomenal men who are really busting their butt to give the best education um, possible. So I think it's good for me. I think it's good for the, the students. I learned a lot about myself just being around so many different men. I've never had so many different uh, colleagues that I could call friends uh, like I do at this school. So it's, it's really, it's a really interesting place. I love it. I love that. I love that. And that, and that, I think it honestly is the most palatable um, version of like an all boys school that I think I've ever heard of. Cause I think for me growing up, I think I definitely was like, mm, I don't know about this. Like, I don't know about this, but I also think it had a lot to do with my upbringing being so uh so femme forward like my mom it was literally just my mom and my sister so like not being in proximity to women really didn't make sense to me because i think that was how i was just that was the origins of my socialization like i I, i'm always like always either befriends or we're always just cohabitating and um and i was never one of those uh people who i think i was early early you know I, I see women as my equals and friends very early on before I even had the language to see it, to, to say that. Uh, but I think it had a lot to do with that overall upbringing. I had to play with my sister. I had to, you know, and my sister was older too. So I had to play with her. So I didn't have this idea of like, oh, just boys and boys and ball and ball and, you know, and I don't want to, and cooties and shit, you know, it was very much like, no, I was like, what y'all doing? Let's play, let's run. Let's, y'all want to race too? Y'all want to come do this, you know? And um, it's interesting to see that type of thing going. So I applaud the, f- the fact that y'all have all that going on. It's a beautiful thing. It's it's a lot, and the thing that a lot of a lot of things that we try to avoid is toxic masculinity. So yeah, I can imagine. To, we definitely try to bring in more of a feminist approach to our curricula. We definitely try to support our uh, women teachers at our school as much as we can. Um, I think that. I think that it's not perfect. And if I told you that we are a perfect school and that there is not a lot of toxic shit that's happening, I would be lying to you. Um, But I think that we are getting to a place, a better place every day. And we're trying to do it as best as we can. Yeah. Um, 
And I'm I'm a, I'm a, a huge proponent for single sex education. I, it really stems from parents having the choice and the right to give to give to their children the type of education that they want. And it's not always co-ed education. So families should have the right to have access to free public education that is single sex education. It shouldn't just be uh, available for private students, for private schools, and things like that. So. That is where my that is where my reasoning comes from, and why I think we should exist is because parents and families should have the right to put their kids in single sex education if they want to. Yeah, and it doesn't work for everybody. I get that. Uh-huh. I get that. Is there is there a particular benefit, I guess, from research or anything like that that um, lends to the advantage of um, of a single sex? Uh, I mean, there is a lot of research out there and a lot of it has been disproven. I think that <laughs> a lot of people see I get in trouble for this. because <laughs> That's funny because I was I was thinking I was giving you an alley-oop like actually he was like there's a Pew research says <laughs> that when young men under the age of da 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 actually do get, no, you know, <laughs> no, what 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 happens is that a lot of what happens to single sex education is that it becomes character education. Uh, so like, how do we build character and how do we build men and women and, and single sex for women and how we build men and women, right? How do we yeah. build them to be functioning in society? But the curricula and, and academics, the people, there's studies that show that boys will not perform, um, that studies show that boys will sometimes not perform better in a single set education or in a co-ed situation. So it really just depends on the key ingredient, which is building a community. Yeah. A community could be a co-ed education. It could be single sex education. It could be um, either of those things. I think that community and love and all of those things that are important to building humans and yeah. to respectable, not Trump people is important. So yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. Four. If you asked me that question four years ago, I would have given you all of the research positively of how this is the right move. I think it has to do more with what you think is right for you and your family. And you know, if you had a son and you wanted him to come to our school, it would be your choice. It would have to be something that you think he could benefit from. And I think that we do do a good job with showing men how to be gentlemen. If that's something that you're interested in, then by all means, throw them in our school. They'll be fine. Yeah, that's real. That's real. I I mean, I have a, uh, because I went to Clark Atlanta University, so the neighbors of my institution um, historically has always been Morehouse College. And um, I've always, I think it's always been this internal institutional beef between the men of Clark Atlanta and the men of Morehouse. Even though it's 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 I'm not sure what made it start other than just the animosity of, you know, machismo, you know, just machismo, just type of energy of like, I'm the man, I'm the man type of thing. But I feel like my uh, particular opinion has been um, earned. Like, I think I I think I don't like a lot of things about the concept of uh, aspects that Morehouse is um, and they've earned it for me, like in a personal way. Um, so I can't speak to the overall reasons as to why so many people have this aversion to them in the concept of what the school's branding and historical context has been. But I do think that the thing that um, is positive that I think attracts a lot of people to that institution is the idea that you have um, this just, you know, notable alumni and 
and these this aspect of just you know ingraining this feeling of um of just self-worth to a certain degree i think that's something that's very very clear that uh happens i think that it's the the indoctrination is the problem though they're still very much giving you know big ass locker room you know what i'm saying and just contradictions everywhere like i i remember going i remember going to that uh coming to the AUC, the Atlanta University Center for the Uninitiated, uh, which is Spelman, Morehouse, Clark Atlanta University, and um, ITC, and also Morris Brown College. Coming into that com- you know, campus and campus community was one that was interesting for me because I remember right before I got there, it was um, something that, was a, that came out about, you know, essentially speaking to sexuality and the expression of sexuality on Morehouse's campus. Like it literally was just this big thing that the president came out with saying like no dresses, no purses, all these various things, you know, and it was just like, damn, okay. And then I got there and then I got to see certain things in person. Uh, and it just, it just did not rub. It did, it did not rub me the right way because it felt in my mind, like conceptually from a distance Oh, every, these men could be coming in and really making like true shifts and change into the men that are entering into society, into the real world, because they are actually shifting minds. Right. But instead that if anything kind of just basically telling a lot of these young men, like you get there and telling a lot of these young men that you have arrived because you chose Morehouse. That's it. You are, you've done the best thing. You've made the best decision of your life. And I get that from a, a, a marketing context, but not from its context and reality and application. Cause that's the last thing you should tell somebody who's 18 feeling like they're coming to figure out things and coming to learn things that you, you already did. You good. You, you just, just finished now, think, you know? Yeah. I think that's the problem with a lot of like schools um, that are single sex education is that they have an idea of who with the brand yeah. of what they're trying to market. And I think that, that's the problem. Like, I think I shared you this story where we had our first trans yeah. um, trans student and, you know, he came in identifying as a he and he left identifying as a she. Yeah. And, you know, this student, we allowed, and I don't like, I hate using the word allowed, but we provided support for this particular student that wanted to wear a blonde wig of all types of wigs, a blonde wig. Uh, and, it was bright as hell. And guess what? We accepted it and we had to educate our community. And I can only imagine. we realized that, that there's all, we are Eagle Academy is all different types of young men. It's not just the type of man that wears the blazer, who is straight, who uh, does all of the things that we want that person to do. Um, Eagle Academy, Eagle Academy is a, is a man, is a, is a man that has all of these other principles. It has nothing to do how they identify and what they wear and things like that. And I've heard those things, um, at Morehouse where they're, it's, it's, it's actually very deadly yes. for young people because yes. you're basically telling them that if you don't do these things, you're not a man. Yes. And then that breeds more toxicity than what you want the young men to ever have, but you don't yeah. realize you're doing that. So, you know, you know, they want the, the students to walk the paths that have been paved before them, right? Don't walk on the grass, right? You got to yeah. walk the paths that yeah. have been paved before you. Yeah. But maybe those paths are shitty. 
And maybe it's not not the way to go. Who am I in good faith to tell you that you can't wear a wig or you can't dye your hair or, you know what, if you want to wear, if you want to have a Gucci purse, by all means, like, so what, who cares? Like, it's not the end of the world. I promise you. It's not the end of the black family. It's not. Okay. It's it's, it's really, it really isn't. And I think that's where it all went hand in hand to me and me forming my own opinion. Cause I think, I was the reason I even discovered anything about the AUC was because of Morehouse. I had a aunt that was like, "You, you could be a Morehouse man. You should go to Morehouse for college." Da 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 da. And my, you know, my sweet godmother, uh, Camille, we call her Cookie, who is actually from, who is my real connection to Chicago overall. She asked me because she was she was taking uh, my cousin Trail. We just call each other cousins. Uh, she was taking my cousin Trail to this tour and asked me, we were the same age, him and my other cousin CJ, and was just like, hey, you want to come to this tour? This, about the tour clock Land University. And I'm like, sure, Morehouse is down there. Maybe I can see that too. I wasn't, I wasn't even thinking about the institution I ended up choosing. And as soon as I got to CAU, it was over. They love at first sight. You know what I'm saying? And once I so once I got there, I didn't know anything about the the beefs and the energy or the animosity between the men of the alumni and men of this school and men of that school. And then I got there and was just like, because I was so involved, I think that's what gave me the insight and the full perspective on certain things. And it really disgusted the hell out of me because it was just like, y'all have the opportunity to really, everybody's expecting y'all, like they already giving y'all the grace to believe that because you chose this school, Oh, you're, I know you, you're going to be great. You went to the same school as MLK. You went to the same school as, you know, all these great men. And it's like going to Clark Atlanta University and then having context as to people who attended that university, attended that college is like something that really, really has opened my eyes up to like how men have been showing up because that institution indoctrinates so much pride into the institution and the branding of the institution that I was meeting so many men and so many of my uh, so many of my uh, classmates who happened to be, who happened to be female were telling me, "Oh, I literally met this guy from Morehouse. He approached me and said, "Hey, I, I go to Morehouse. My name is Rodney." Before even the name, they led with that, which to me was just like it's giving it's giving. You know, you could just replace that with anything. You know, right. like what's there now? Just a Morehouse man or a college student at Morehouse. Like, I, I'm I'm a I'm a lawyer for, for you know this such and such and such and such and Stanley or I, I work for Morgan Stanley I work for you know Price Waterhouse Coopers and Berkshire Hathaway. like you could say all these things that are truly external factors of your status in various ways either class and money and all these various things or you could stand in who you are and um and the man that you became and the man that you chose to be. And it was just, it just disgusted the hell out of me. But um, enough about that. Right. I wanted, I wanted to pivot and, um, and make the last few things that we talked about to be about what you are um, actually getting your, um, I'm, a, I'm assuming it's your last degree, <laughs> your doctorate. <laughs> but I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, or definitely tell me the full title. If not, I believe it's in educational policy, right? 
Yes, it's educational leadership and policy. And there is another degree that might be pending. Oh, uh, damn. But, <laughs> but I promised myself that I'm a life learner. So like, this is just for me. This is never everything that I do for my, everything that I do is for myself and my mom. I love that. Uh, and it's never, it's never to like show, oh, I did all these things. So I'm better yeah. than everybody. Yeah. This is all just about what makes me happy. So, yeah. um, the degree is in educational leadership and policy. Um, it is a very, it's been a very long road to mm. get to where I'm at. It's challenging. I like want to pull my hair out. I want to cut my hair sometimes. Uh, when I'm really stressed <laughs> the hell out. Uh, that's probably why I cut my hair. Maybe, um, yeah, you need to let some out. You need to let some dead weight. Like, let me just let, I need to get something loose. Some need to get gone. <laughs> It's up to lose. Something got to get going. It can't be me. So I got to be this hair. Uh, purge. Purge. <laughs> you got to purge your plants. You got to purge your, your locks sometimes. <laughs> right. You know, I'm not, I'm not getting rid of my, my plants. So it had to, had to be the locks. So, <laughs> uh, so it's, it's, a, it's, I'm studying how school principals make sense of discipline in their schools. So basically mm. the thing that has been impacting a lot of black and brown boys, I'm studying that. Um, and that's in the nutshell of itself. I mean, it is pretty tedious, but I'm still working out the kinks right now. I'm meeting with a bunch of folks and 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 really trying to solidify as much as possible. I did take some of some time off last year, so yeah. I would, as some people would say, I'm a little behind, <laughs> but I think I'm on time. Yeah, okay. So I think that's the most that's important great. thing. That's great. Uh, my mom reminded me that um, the other day she said that comparison is a thief of joy. Yes, it is in every in every way. <laughs> I'm like, yes, mom. I yes. I you always try to think of like where you're at and where you want to be, and it's always never. It's never actually where you are at, and you're always like disappointed. Like, damn, if I only had more of this or more of that, and we yeah. always want more, 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 and not realizing that we are full of abundance already. We are our own kings and queens standing in ourselves and yeah. really being happy. Um, I think that that's important. I, and I think that that's why I love your podcast because I think it's real. I think that you want people to stand in who has stand as who they are and yeah. not who, you know, it, it's all real, which is why I said, yes. I said, of course, Hell no, yeah. you know, without podcast. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I appreciate uh, that. But because of, you know, I think it's an authentic way to get to know people. So I appreciate that. Hell yeah. And and I think, you know, I'm glad that you you feel the vision and, and understand exactly that's exactly the mission of it all is if I can ignite you to understand how powerful your story is and your perspective is. And I've done my job because I already qualify myself. It was 2020 as a neo griot of sorts where I'm just storytelling where I'm capturing stories where I'm pushing people to tell their stories or making sure that you know that your story is important so I really do appreciate that you are uh, exchanging in this way with us uh, with everyone with me and everyone else who's listening um, but my first question really my only question is I feel like we all especially talking about black and brown people and honestly uh, all, P all POCs who give a damn and who are affected um which we all are in most cases, policy, legislation, um, laws, statutes, bills, so on and so forth, never really felt like they were um, truly in our favor. 
and right. in our favor in a standpoint of like it always feels like when we get something we had to really go through so much I believe it was just I don't want I don't I don't want to say yesterday it may have been yesterday or the day before yesterday um I, I think it was yesterday or I can't remember but it was a bill passed basically finally uh, categorizing lynching as a hate crime um, in 2022 which is crazy as hell to think about though that we still have laws on the books or particular things that are, are no laws on the books to protect particular things and to create precedents to protect uh, specific things policy has never really been our friend it feels like and um, this is something that you've dedicated yourself to understand and be a difference in. But I really want to know, like, how effective is policy really? Like, what do because I think maybe we don't have the full scope on how policy maybe has affected us and changed us in a positive way. Because I think so often we're talking about, you know, taxes going up and this becoming a rule that affects us more than everyone else. You know, it's never like there's a policy or a bill or something that comes out what we can all cheer about. Honestly, if it wasn't for the legalization of weed, I don't even remember the last time I got excited about a new law of the land that now is allowed type of thing. Like, in if some it's, states. You know what I'm saying? Like, in some states. <laughs> some states. But nevertheless, it's like, that's right. been the only thing I've been associated with where it's like, I'm pushing for something to be, go through legislation. Everything else, it feels like I would like for it to be, but it feels too ambitious almost, you know what I'm saying? To think about reparations, to think about bills to assist in um, just educational finance or just actually being really truly beneficial and helping people uh, out of their particular situations um, in, a, in a very handheld manual type of way, not just kind of just solely giving particular assistance and uh, hoping that that is gonna mm -hmm. get you out your situation. We know that there's another element to that, you know? How right. effective is policy? Policy is really not that effective, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. And we can always say, like, you know, we need to get more of us in leading the way. But how many black cities are run by black mayors? <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> I'm in Chicago, so we got the, the, the notorious Lori of the lightest of feet. You know what I'm saying? The, light, <laughs> so, the lightest of feet. The lightest and, of feet. <laughs> and all of her policies do, most of her policies do not favor y'all the least. At all. Uh, we knew she was a cop coming in. Yeah. Policy is really not that effective. And I think that once people realize that policy is not really effective and it's, it's as effective as people pushing to get what they need from that policy gotcha. and policy is not effective if it's not enacted correctly uh, really uh, right you can have policies but if they're not being enacted you don't have funding to enact those policy what good is an anti-lynching law if you don't have people to go to make sure and monitor that people are not being lynched dead in ass those dead ass I, can right. say, I don't i think lynching is illegal and uh, lynching is illegal now in this state right but then i don't put no money at all to enforce it it's no purpose there's no yep. point yeah people are still gonna do it and there's nobody if they get caught they get caught but like it's it's not it doesn't become a big deal because the enactment and enforcement is not there the funding is not there for that it costs too much money to enact certain policies especially the ones that are the most effective to the people of color so 
it's really about microdosing and figuring out, well, what are the smaller policies that we can do to build up to the big ones? Because we know that it's easier to focus on micro policies than macro policies. Yeah. And that's where we fall into a lot of traps because we look to the federal government for their macro policies, but that's not always going to be successful because they don't have the resources and they don't have the cooperation from states yeah. as they as they should unless they pay them. That makes sense. Right? Yeah. For them to do that, like think about No Child Left Behind. That's around the time that you were in school, right? Yeah. The federal government had to pay states to enforce No Child Left Behind. If you participate in this policy, we're going to give you the money that we know that you need for your school. So mm. they participated poorly, but they participated. I mean, I think they, I think they, <laughs> I think they just, it was opposite day for several years. You know what I'm saying? We better leave the most behind this motherfucker now. It's crazy. Right. It, it, it's the opposite. Like, and it impacted students of color the most because the, the the schools that are performing, unfortunately, are predominantly white. So they just kept performing. And then we had what we had was the policies that were micromanaging and really being harsh on these communities, closing schools, uh, restarting schools, uh, firing teachers, hiring new teachers, uh, shifting teaching to the test. All of those things were harmful to kids. Yeah. And it's no wonder how you came out, how we both came out of that and be okay. Yeah, that's real. And, you know, you know, I appreciate you giving that particular perspective because it seems like to me. There is a um, there's particular steps in the process because we live in a very bureaucratic, you know, nation that creates these steps on steps on steps on steps. But also there are so many very varying factors to make some of these things happen. You have to have so much seem like you have to have so much buy in from not only community but the people who will be the practitioners to make all this shit happen, to make this official thing, to then inform everyone on what this policy is so they then can enforce whatever the policy is, which all those things, yes, take money. Um, so it's almost like a question of to be an informed person who backs a particular policy. If you are like just a community, just a citizen, you damn near got to be like, all right, we need to know all the, the car facts on this motherfucker. Do y'all actually got the money to to enforce this thing? Because I can imagine the vanity that you would receive and celebrate if they pass a policy that people have been waiting on for so long. Like right. I know for a fact in probably most cities, if they say that they are passing a policy that if you if you report a, a pothole, we're going to close that thing in however many days. We're going to give you that. That is the new policy. That is the new thing. It's on you. Clean up your streets, make your streets right. less bumpy. And then and then for some reason, people already are in doc, don't have enough information, don't know the things maybe haven't done. They haven't implemented the thing and potholes are still a fucking problem. And it's like, well, we told y'all you got to tell us. So if you ain't telling us. Then it's, is it really on us now? You know, <laughs> but it kind of. Put it on y'all, like, but I can imagine a world where it's like you living a you're living your life and it's really the people who probably have the most time and the most consideration to do those things. Uh if they haven't made it as simple and as easy as possible. Cause we're talking about making it simple and easy, which I don't think America does often. We 
think about our voting process. I can imagine a policy like that would be some shit like you have to call your this and that. You got to take a picture. You got to stop. You got to do so many steps <laughs> when the probably the easiest thing would be like, I'm a pull. I'm a I don't know. Send a text message and tell you what street and what corner and whatever this is to let you know, hey, this this pothole is on the corner of such and such and da da da. Get that motherfucker, please. Um, but I, I feel like, you know, you, you were speaking to, you know, you spoke earlier to just speaking to when it came to like how at risk it's really more so just people, the system doing something wrong. It's the system not actually distributing resources and allocating funds in the proper ways. And um, I think the biggest buzzword that came out of 2020 that people uh, started to really learn and understand. And honestly, it started to delineate a lot of what people were asking for in terms of progression of just racial, just racial issues and just racial progression um, was equity. I feel like I remember diversity and inclusion being a part of, you know, particular organizations, diversity being probably the most powerful of those buzzwords uh, in terms of entertainment in various ways. But equity is a whole nother beast. Equity wow. is one where we're talking about the money. Equity is one where we're talking about the resources and the access to certain things. Equity is ownership, you know? And that's when we're talking about motherfuckers who can make and pick and choose decisions of what's happening and what's not happening. And so I really wanted to, you know, end us on equity because I think equity is something that you cannot talk enough about. And I really want people to understand the true inequities that we see right now right. in terms of the educational system. Like we, we, you know, you reside and work in New York. I reside and work in Chicago, Illinois. So we are certainly two examples of people who have very interesting school systems that are in front of us. Like Chicago, I think probably one of the most infamous in terms of just the CPS system and, you know, the teachers union, which is forever on strike. I'm not, I don't even have a child or know somebody or even no children in school. And I'd be knowing about this stuff, you know, <laughs> it's, it's very apparent that there is a disdain difference, a disdain, uh, a distinct like inequities that are happening. Tell me what you've noticed in your time as an educator and also your time is also as a, as a, you know, as a student as well, where you believe the inequities are the um the largest right well i think the first thing is that people don't understand what equity means yeah. people think that it's always about like people def people use the word equity and really mean equality yes and I think that what what we need to really focus on is equity is about giving everybody what they need to be successful and that means that there's going to be people who are not going to get everything that the other person next to them is getting right it's not going to be if i have a dollar right i'm not going to you might get a quarter because that is what is equitable versus someone that might get 50 cents mm. and the other person will get the other quarter so it's like people don't like that they don't like that they have to get less in order to move something forward which is why we're always going to struggle with white people which is why in general the reason why a lot of schools are not being successful because of white families. White families are putting their feet to the ground and they're not wanting that. They don't want radical change. They're like, mm. oh, well, I want I want my schools to be diverse, but 
I want X, Y, Z, which prevents that from happening. Let's raise the standards. Raising the standards means pushing more kids out. Yeah. Right. So I think that there's a good podcast called Nice White People. I don't know if you heard about it. Hell no. Oh, it's Nice White Parents, I think. And it's it talks about like this these families, these white families that are going out of their way to be nice, but also at the same time, they're doing very harmful policies and practices that exclude more and more black and brown kids out of that. So I think we got to get white families on the same page and have them understand that they're a big part of the fucking problem. That makes sense. And like how they think that they want to like, they want to live in this enclave of like, I want everything to be perfect. And I want all of these, I want my kids to be around diversity, but then I put all of those barriers away, right? You're not going to integrate your kid into the community, right? You're going to put your kid outside of the community equity, uh, uh, black and Brown people have to understand also in, in terms of equity that we also can be, responsible for inequities as well because when we get money we say we're not going to put our kids in those neighborhood schools we're going to put them in private school we're going to put them in these white schools because it's yep. a better school yeah we are also part of segregation as well mm-hmm. because we think that because we made it and that we make we're middle class now barely uh <laughs> our kids are better off around other white kids and that's not true that sucks yeah uh, and what does that do to them wrong. what does that do to the kids Right, because the kids know that, that something's not kids. Kids are gonna know that something's off. They're like, I don't fit in. They, like they know that they're black. They know that this is not gonna be this not gonna be the same. And what message are you telling your kids that the only way they can get anything good is not to be black? Basically, or be or be so far away from it. I think or that's so far away. I, from I, black I, I always, I always that that's something that I noticed in being in Chicago for so long. Is like there's a lot of pride in Chicagoans and New Yorkers and just being from that place and growing up in that place and going through those school systems. Um, so much pride that, you know, in Chicago, as vast and as large as the city it is, if you tell a motherfucker you from Chicago, the next question is not even your name. They, it is what school did you go to, <laughs> you know? And they're talking about high school and they are using those that information to inform them on who and the type of person that you are, where you grew up, the things you might know, so on and so forth. And what's always been interesting to me is that so many people can speak to the great fellow classmates they've had. It was like, look, I go to class with, you know, folks who are doctors and this and that, and they're doing so well. They're NBA players. They're this, they're that. I I went to school with such and such. And everybody knows such and such. And guess what? And I always say, but what about you? Now you now you see you took it at a whole nother place. <laughs> what about you? Like, <laughs> for me, for the reason why I bring that up is because to me, I'm thinking about if y'all all went to these particular schools that are still that you could say that your school was a you know quote unquote you know needed particular things and still to this day still need things. Um, I, I just never could understand like if you get to a point of affluence, if everybody on it's not even about black people feeling this like innate responsibility to give back and to take care of, you know, the community in some way, shape, form, because you quote unquote made it out or got to a particular level of income status and affluence, I guess. Uh, In my mind, it's like if people just take care of their block, just the one that they were from, the things that they were connected to, 
um, and had an actual consideration to that, something that you are connected to. And I think that's what always disconnects me from certain celebrities and, and, you know, famous black people with money is because they're so quick to be like, why would I do that? If I go there, they're going to rob me. They're going to da da da. Why would I? And it's like, okay, all right, sure. But in my mind, it's like, imagine a world where you actually did whatever you needed to do to make sure that isn't a thing, though, you know? And that feels like more positive effort because more positive effort than anything. Like I get the, you know, the the um, anecdotes that people give when they talk about, you know, a young Dolph or a Nipsey Hussle and all these various things. But the fact of the matter is, is that a lot of those communities are better off because they were contributing to those communities. Right. Like, imagine if they basically made it and jumped ship. There wouldn't be a marathon uh, clothing store. There wouldn't be these various businesses and things that had that were actually able to get a little bit further ahead because of their involvement. These community things. Dolph, the the week before, the only reason why he was even in Memphis, the weekend that he uh, was shot and killed, was because he was uh, handing out turkeys. Like he was handing out food, doing a food drive around Thanksgiving or something like that, or around Thanksgiving or Christmas or something like that. So it's like so crazy to think like these people were trying to give back and do what they could for their community that they were connected to. Because in my mind, I'm like, that's all that's really needed. If every single quote unquote affluent black person did that, imagine where else we would be. If And then folks who had the particular uh, cloud and access to whatever it is that you have access to, Use that to do whatever you do. You don't got to become damn Jesse Jackson. That ain't your thing. But if you know for a fact you are this person who has access into a new thing, like, all right, I work for Nike and I got, I'm got i now an executive at Nike, but I have all these, you know, I'm from a neighborhood where, you know, a lot of kids like sports and also want all these different things. You could go there and give them all this kind of sports and entertainment education, create, just actually pour into those communities to try to improve those things instead of trying your best to tell you and everyone around you that are now new people that you know because you now got money, you knew money, and your children that going to that place, being you being new-new, <laughs> making your children be the new-news of the world, just admiring the hood from a distance, wanting to see what the fuck is like because they know you. Like your, your children are with you all the time and can see that you aren't them. Like you, you didn't have that same upbringing and that contributed to where you are. But you're telling them that what you had wasn't enough and what you had wasn't good enough. And you just wanted the lucky ones. You know, it's 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 hell of a perception to give your kids if you distance them from that and not give them perspective. I'm not saying that I understand the context of like giving your children the best, but make it make sense. Like because if all you're doing is sending them off to that white ass school and they ain't getting no other type of education or no other type of anything else. What the fuck is the point? <laughs> What's the point for real? You know, to you got to send him to Abbott Elementary. That's what you full circle. Send him back. Send him to Abbott Elementary. Send him ass, yeah, they'd be fine. Like you know, kids. We we need to give kids the benefit of the doubt. Like yeah. they're gonna be fine. And if you're affluent and educated, like anything that's missing, you're gonna be there to support. Again, the school can't do everything that you're supposed to do. You still got to be a parent. You still got to do those things, and. That's that. So, you know, this has been a blessing. I, I, I've learned, I learned so much from you just sitting here. I'm like, I could talk to you for hours. I can't, but, uh, you know, this has definitely been a blessing to like, you know, be here talking with you and really, I appreciate that. 
to kind of dig in and 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 go at it. So I think that I think that there's a a, a conversation part two offline because I'm curious some, for some other things, but that'd be for another time. I got you. And before I let you go, the last thing I'm gonna ask you is my send it on portion of the pod. And my send it on portion is my call to action. So I have my last question is how can someone better assist the community of educators? Hmm. Listen to educators and to what they need. I mean, just mm. listen and and mm. and with no with no ifs, ands, buts about it. Like no, oh, um, don't question us. Just listen and yeah. and provide as much as possible and love the hell out of us. Like we're doing a lot of work here. Like I think that's important. Listen to educators. That goes for everyone who's working in education. Listen to the people that are in the field doing the work. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. Mm. I love it. I love it. I think that's yeah. That's a great. That's a good. Nice little little bow on that. Um, please, please, please let everyone know, Madison how they can support you, how they can just follow you, how they can do anything that you would right. like for the people to do with you connected to it all, you know, let them know. Right. Well, the first thing that I want everybody to do is to invest in your local government. Mm. Local politics is extremely important. So get to know your representatives because those are the things that you're going to feel the most. The second thing is you can reach me at Madison pay into on Twitter I'm pretty available there. And I also have a podcast that's Race Through Education. Yeah, yeah. And on Twitter, that is racethroughedu.1. And I'm there. I'm always available. So I'm always down to talk to anybody that wants to talk. So that's lit. That's lit. And you can see all those links in the description of this podcast if you are listening or if you are watching on YouTube. Uh, If you don't know, you should know. You can follow me everywhere at Kings underscore memoirs. Make sure that you. Also follow the uh, podcast at Simply King Pod on IG and go and like the Facebook page at Simply King Podcast. Make sure that you also go and follow my business page at Life is King on IG. And if you need anything in the realm of digital marketing or creative production, go check me out and let us work and let me create for you. Um, I appreciate you. I appreciate you so much, Madison. Um, I think this is a hell of a conversation. It's definitely one you can that the both of us, I believe, could talk ad nauseum. Um, but it's it's all good. Um, it's all good because that's that's what it's for. That's what it's made for. Conversation is is never ending. You know what I'm saying? That's ellipse, ellipse. You know, it's, it's more it's more to come. But no, I thank you so much. Uh, thank you so so much. Uh, this has been the Soulfully Conscious Podcast for humans simply being humans. I've been Rodney Perry, also known as King. This has been the so eloquent Madison Payton, and this has been simply clean. Uh-huh.